Greetings, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new series of history from one student to another. This series will be covering theme for Britain 1919 to 1939 of the European Option from the Cambridge A-Level History Curriculum. In this first episode of my new series on Britain from 1919 to 1939, essentially into War Britain, I will be giving an introduction to post-First World War Britain under Lloyd George's coalition government. As we know from our studies at IGCSE, the war was brought to an end in 1918 when David Lloyd George was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, but he was not the man who brought the UK into the war initially. That would be Prime Minister Herbert Henry Asquith, who served as British Prime Minister from 1908 until 1916 when he was forced to resign. He was then succeeded by David Lloyd George, a man who remains the last Liberal politician and only Welshman to hold the post of Prime Minister. Aside from the general background points, Lloyd George is considered to be largely popular and successful Prime Minister. A 1999 BBC Radio 4 survey of 20 politicians and historians ranks him as the second best British Prime Minister of the 20th century, just behind Sir Winston Churchill. The University of Leeds and Ipsos Mori online survey of 139 academics who specialised in the 20th century British history and or politics ranked him as third on the list. At the close of the First World War, Lloyd George was one of the big three that made many of the decisions at the Paris Peace Conference in Versailles. His aims can be seen as the middle ground between France and the USA. Lloyd George aimed at creating moderate peace with Germany whilst punishing them for its crimes. However, he did not wish to punish the country too harshly. On the one hand, to prevent them from seeking revenge in the future, and on the other hand, to allow Germany to remain stable and recover as a key trading partner of Great Britain. His aims were largely achieved as Germany remained united and began to recover under the Agreed Doors Plan, resuming trade with Britain, whilst the British Empire was not affected by the negotiations at the conference. Lord George was re-elected as Prime Minister on the backdrop of his successes during the First World War, as his coalition government, made up of mostly Conservative MPs, won with a landslide victory. Now that the war was finally over, the government was able to withdraw state control of industry, price controls and raw materials and foreign trade, though food rationing remained until 1921 as supplies began to stabilise. However, some minor economic issues did arise, with prices increasing twice as fast in the year after the war than the period of the war itself. The issue of wasteful public spending emerged in 1921, and high taxation was found to be one of the reasons behind the problem. Hence, in February 1922, Sir Eric Geddes produced a report recommending military and public spending cuts. This Geddes Axe, which was implemented towards the end of post-war economic boom, limited the government's ability to rebuild and construct their promised Homes for Heroes. During the early years of the interwar period, democracy was extended, with the 1918 Representation of the People Act removing the classist laws which meant you had to own property in order to be eligible to vote. Subsequently, the Labour Party had a chance to become more competitive as the working class could now vote, and the Labour Party was largely in charge of working class politics. The Act also made an unprecedented change to voting by giving women over the age of 30 the right to vote. In 1928, this was further extended to cover women on equal voting terms as men. With the backdrop of the Bolshevik Revolution in mind, the Labour Party strongly supported the Liberal-led government in London, whilst it strongly opposed the idea of a violent revolution. There was to be no issue over a revolution in Britain, at least not a socialist one on the part of the Labour Party, 
but this was an issue that deeply concerned conservatives who feared a revolution in the shape of the Red Clydestide in industrial Scotland, when in reality their fears were completely unfounded, as the main goal of the leftist white working men in Red Clydestide was to exclude blacks and women from jobs with good pay and working conditions, which they themselves wanted. Still, the royal establishment was deeply concerned with a republican sentiment which threatened the position of the monarchy, as they saw republicanism as a predecessor to socialism and the workers' rights movement. Hence, they reorganised the monarchy's role to be more accommodating to the working class, with King George VI making almost 300 visits to munitions factories and shipyards, helping to create an image of a caring monarchy which had the interests of the people at its heart. The monarchy also adopted a more democratic stance in the wake of the electoral reforms which removed property requirements and introduced women's suffrage, with the king taking steps to build a good relationship with the leaders of the Labour Party. King George VI was largely popular like his father George V and his daughter Queen Elizabeth II who would succeed him in 1952. One of the factors which he gained admiration from the people for was his refusal to leave London during the intense bombing, and deciding to remain at Buckingham Palace during the Second World War. One of the key issues that Lloyd George's government faced was that of Ireland. The anti-British and anti-monarchical sentiment of the Irish culminated in the Easter Rising of 1916, resulting in quick suppression by the Royal Army, and harsh repression by the government, including 2,000 arrests and the execution of 15 leaders. These punishments only angered the Catholic Irish, who demanded independence and wanted revenge. The rise in republicanism in Ireland and Lord George's failed attempt at extending conscription to Ireland in April 1918 resulted in the old Irish Home Rule Party, who had supported the British involvement in the Great War, being defeated by the Republican and Social Democratic Party, Sinn Féin. They subsequently refused to assume their place in British Parliament, instead setting up their own parliament in Dublin and declaring an Irish Republic. The coalition government back in London was unable to decide whether to wage war in order to protect the Union, or to keep the peace. The forces he sent committed atrocities, which further angered the Catholics in Ireland and overseas, and the Liberals in Britain. However, the forces were unable to suppress the rebels outside of the cities. He sent in 40,000 troops and the Black and Tans, and the Auxiliaries, two new paramilitary forces. Again, the British were able to maintain control in the cities, but not in the countryside, where the IRA was in control and set up an alternative local government. One of the reasons why the Irish Republic was able to gain independence was the highly effective organisation of the Irish Republican Army that involved using informers to destroy the system of British intelligence system through the assassination of its leadership. The crisis over Ireland was solved when the 1920 Government of Ireland Act split Ireland into Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland in May 1921. However, Ireland faced internal issues, and smaller issues with Britain, over the coming decades, such as disputes over the island's relationship with the monarchy, a trade war in the 1930s, and British use of Ireland's naval ports. Thank you for listening to this episode of History from One Student to Another. Please click follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. There are links in the description for you to access my website, provide me with feedback, suggestions and questions, and to visit my social media. Again, I would be very grateful if you would be so kind as to buy me a coffee via the link in the description. This is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.